Well, it's, uh, it's good to be back preaching. It's been a whole month where I've not been standing on this platform and speaking and I've really appreciated the rest and the, the break, but it's good, good to be back in the house and we're going to be beginning, beginning a brand new series called Battleground. Everyone say Battleground. Yeah, come on. So I was chatting with someone after the service last week um, and just, you know, sharing a bit about the holiday we've been having and the break we've taken and just how super chilled and relaxed we're feeling after the time off. And they were like, oh, great. So now you're ready for battle, aren't you? And I was like, do you know what? That's so true. It's so true because actually when we want to go into battle, to come from a place of rest, to come from a place of feeling refreshed, you feel like you can take on the world, don't you? I certainly do. (laughs) So we're going to look at this series called Battleground. And we're going to look, there's a whole bunch, as you read the Bible, there's a whole bunch of battles in this book. And so we're just going to pull out a few. By no means are we going to cover cover them all. But we're going to work through um, four over the next few weeks. Um, And just to pull out some principles and some themes and some encouragement that we can apply to our own lives, to our own battleground. So I hope it's going to be encouraging to you all as we work through uh, this series. So this morning, we are going to look at the story of Gideon, which is found in the book of Judges. And if you know that book or if you don't, what we see through the, the book of Judges is the Israelites going through this, this sin cycle where they uh, get distracted by how other people are living, other people worshipping sex and money and all kinds of idols, and their eyes come away from Jesus and onto these other idols, and they begin to follow those kind of passions and those pursuits. And then consequences come, as they inevitably do, and in their moment of crisis, they turn to God and they cry out for help. And he steps in, he sends a judge to help them. And then the whole thing happens again and again and again. And it says in Judges 6 that the Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So he allowed the Midianites to oppress them for seven years. So once again, we're seeing they've been distracted. Their eyes have been taken off God and onto something else. And the consequence is that the Midianites come in and oppress them for seven years. And what would happen was the Israelites would, would sow their harvest. They would plant the crops. And then the Midianites would swoop in and would steal everything that they had been working for. And you know, for me, uh, when I was reading this story, I was just kind of reminded of actually the kind of poignancy of and the prophetic in this story because 15 years ago when Ruth and I got married um, we invited two couples close friends of ours to come and pray over us and prophesy into our lives and one of the couples said to us you are going to sow much in your life but you're also going to reap much in your life. And obviously that was really encouraging for us. And then actually in recent weeks, um, we had a word spoken into our lives that said, actually, now is the time to prepare for the harvest. Now is the time to prepare for the harvest by someone who didn't know what was spoken 15 years ago. And so I believe, we believe this is a word for this church, that actually we are in a time right now of preparation for the harvest. And that is super exciting for me, for our leadership, and hopefully for you guys too. And so we're going to pick up this story and we're going to look at the story of Gideon. So turn with me, if you will, to Judges chapter 6. 
um, or it'll come up on the screen behind me, starting at verse 11. It says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth of Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abizarite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given, given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And he said to him, Gideon said, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And so in this story, we start off this, this scene, this picture of Gideon, this farmer, threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, even those who are not in the know of farming mentality will recognize that something is not quite right here. A wine press is for pressing wine and not for threshing wheat. In fact, threshing wheat was this process used to separate the grain from the chaff. And actually, this was a process that was best done outside. Because what would happen is you would thresh the wheat and the things would fall off the wheat and then you would scoop up what was on the ground with a pitchfork and throw it into the air and then the wind would take away the chaff and the grain would fall to the ground because it was heavier. And so you would have this separation process of the, of the grain and of the, the chaff. And so to do this inside would make it almost impossible. Now we don't know how Gideon went about this process it could possibly be that he threshed the wheat and then crawled around on his hands and knees and pulled out the grain. But that doesn't sound like a very fun job, does it? Or he could have threshed the wheat and then got his pitchfork and scooped it up like he would do outside, throw it into the air and then become the wind himself and try to get rid of the chaff that way. I don't know how he did it, but either way, it's not going to be a very fun or easy job for him. But he was doing it. He was doing this. He was hiding away in the wine press because he didn't want the Midianites to see. He didn't want them to come and take away his harvest. But it's not exactly a picture of courage, is it? And yet in comes the angel of the Lord, we read, and he says to Gideon, O mighty man of valor, mighty warrior, hero, this declaration that the angel of the Lord is speaking over Gideon and thus begins a series of very confusing decisions by God in preparation for this battle. So we're going to go through this this morning. And so having he heard this declaration, oh mighty man of valor, Gideon then takes the time to sit down with the angel of the Lord and explain to him just how much he has chosen the wrong man 
for the job. Let me just explain it to you. I don't know, maybe, can you relate to this this morning, that actually sometimes God calls us into something. He says, I want you to go and do this. And you're like, okay, God, I'm really flattered and all, but just take a look around. There are so many people better qualified, stronger, uh, richer, more experienced, whatever it is, much better than me to go and do this thing that you are calling me to do. And so Gideon does this. He says to this angel, my clan is the weakest of them all. We are weedy in comparison to all of the others. And me, I'm the weakest in my family. I am literally the worst person that you could choose to do this job. There is no worse person. I am at the bottom of the pecking order on this. And so on paper, Gideon really is the wrong man for the job. But let's keep working through this story. And so Gideon finally kind of accepts that, okay, God is calling me to do this, so I better kind of step up and and try my best. And so he gathers together an army of 32,000 men. That's pretty good going, isn't it? 32,000 men that rally around this hopeful warrior, this hopeful man of valor. And God says to Gideon, well done. No, that is not what he says. He says to Gideon, 32,000 men, that is far too many. Far too many men. Now, in what war situation can you have too many men? They're about to go into battle. And bear in mind that the Midianite army is like 135,000 men and camels that cannot be counted, it says. They are an army. And Gideon, bless him, has managed to rally around 32,000 men. And so they are outnumbered four to one. And God says, no, you have got too many men. We need to strip this back. We need to get rid of some of these people. And so he gives them a get out clause. He says to Gideon, go and tell the men if they're too scared to fight, they can go home. And so you can almost picture it, can't you? Gideon goes in front of this mighty army that he has amassed. And he says to them, God has told me, if you are too scared to fight, you can go. You are released. And 20,000 run away. They just run away. No hesitation. All right, thank you. See you later. I'm out of here. They just run away. 22,000. And so now they're down to 10,000. And Gideon's like, here you go, God. I've done what you asked. We've now got 10,000 men. Is God happy? No, he's not. He's like, this is still too many. This is far too many. You don't need this many men to go into battle with the Midianites. So here's another challenge. Take them down to the river, have them drink some water. And those who drink correctly, take into battle. And those who don't, send them on their way. And so off they go down to the river, Some of them are drinking one way, some of them are drinking another. Gideon scouts the ground, hoping that most of them are doing what they're supposed to be doing. 300 men are left. 300 men. So it's gone from 32,000 down to 300 men. And we're not talking 300 Gerard Butlers. This is Sparta. No, these are 300 very average dudes, almost like Gideon, just weaklings in this army. 300 men. This makes absolutely no sense. But isn't that just like God? 
It makes no sense. But isn't that just like God? Because we say this enemy is far too big. But God says, I'm bigger. We say this is impossible. But God says, I can do it. This health issue I am facing is far too big. God says, I'm bigger. This financial struggle that I'm facing is so overwhelming. I'm bigger. The troubles that my child is getting to that's taking him or her further and further away from God, I don't think it's ever going to work out. God says, I am bigger. I am bigger. I am bigger. What shall we say to these things? It says in Romans chapter 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? We are overcomers. It says in 1 John that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. We are overcomers with God on our side. Anything is possible. Yes, the enemy is big. Yes, the problem is big. But God says, I am bigger. The battle looks impossible. But guess what? The battle belongs to who? The Lord. The battle belongs to to the Lord. And so God realizes that perhaps this kind of process of whittling down 32,000 men to 300 might be a little bit overwhelming for Gideon. So he says to Gideon, All right, I get it. This is a challenge. Let me give you some encouragement. And so he tells him to go down to the Midian camp and just have a look around, listen to what's going on. And so Gideon sneaks down to the camp and he's crouching in the shadows and he's listening to what's going on. And he hears one of the, sh one of the soldiers sharing about a dream he had. And it says this in Judges chapter 7. One of the soldiers says, I had a dream. I had a dream. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. Now, this guy's probably been eating a lot of cheese the night before. <laughs> this is a bit of a weird dream. But his comrade responds to this dream. He is very much in confidence. He says, this can be nothing other. There is no doubt. I am absolutely certain here of what this means. This is the sword of Gideon, son of Joash the Israelite, God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. Now, I am not super hot on dream interpretation, but having heard a dream about a loaf of bread rolling down a hill and knocking over a tent, that's probably not where I would have gone. And yet this comrade, this soldier is like, this is absolutely what this means. And that fills Gideon with all the faith he needs to go back to his camp to go back to his 300 men strong army and lay out the most outrageous battle plan you have ever heard. And so he gathers around his army and he says, okay guys, it's time to get armed up and ready to fight, but we're not going to go with swords and with shields. And they're like, Okay, have you created a new weapon? Have guns been invented in advance of their time? No, no, what we're going to do is we are going to go into battle with trumpets and with candles. Okay. So let's just summarize for a moment what's happened in preparation for this battle. God has chosen Gideon 
this farmer who was cowering in a wine press to lead the army. He reduces this army from 32,000 men down to 300 men. He uses a dream about a loaf of bread to fill Gideon with the faith that he needs to go into battle. And then they arm themselves, not with swords, not with shields, but with candles and with trumpets. They don't stand a chance. This mission is impossible. It is absolute suicide. And yet we read that these 300 men surround the Midianite camp. And all at once, all together, they blast their trumpets and they throw down and smash their candles and they cry out a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And look at this in chapter 7 verse 21. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sound, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. The odds were absolutely stacked against them. The battle plan made zero sense. And yet there lies the point, doesn't it? A lack, of ex- a lack of understanding does not excuse our obedience. A lack of understanding does not excuse a lack of obedience. We need to trust in God. We need to obey God and then we will experience the victory. You know, I wouldn't have blamed Gideon for checking out right at the start. No, thank you, God. I am out of here. This makes no sense. And even as the journey kind of went on and the reduction of the army and everything that happened, I wouldn't have blamed him for just saying, I'm out. I'm out. This doesn't make sense. This is impossible. This is not going to work. But instead, instead, he chose to trust in God. Because the truth is that when we're up against something, when we, when we are up against some challenging situation, we might try to work out a solution for ourselves. But oftentimes what we'll find is that God way, God's ways don't fit within the boundaries of our human eyes. God's ways don't make sense to us because we don't see what he sees. We don't see what he sees because God's plan for your financial struggle could be to give away more God's plan for that person who has hurt you deeply could be for you to love on them for you to pray for them for you to serve them you see we see a moment but God sees eternity we see sickness but God sees healing. We see broken, but God sees blessed. We see lost, but God sees found. We can't see hope, but God, he sees the victory. You know, there's so much to take away from this story, from this battleground. The angel of the Lord said to Gideon, mighty warrior. God says to you this morning, mighty warrior. Mighty man, mighty woman of valor, I am calling you up, ready to go into battle this morning. Whether you feel like he's with you or not, he's with you. Whether you feel like you're full of courage or not, he is calling you a mighty warrior. Because the Lord sees 
more in you than you will ever see in yourself. He sees more in you than we will ever see in yourself. He sees the real you, the man or the the woman of God that he created for such a time as this. And yet I think sometimes we can let insecurities get the better of us, can't we? We can allow those insecurities and those doubts to, to creep in. What is an insecurity? What is an insecurity? It's a lack of confidence. It's an uncertainty about your worth. It's questioning your value and your place in this world. And it's a feeling that actually you're not enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not strong enough. You're not tall enough. You're not smart enough. You're not rich enough. You don't come from a good enough family. You don't have enough friends. To feel insecure is to feel like you don't have what it takes. You know, I've shared before that I've battled with this. I battle with this, this feeling that I am not enough. And I don't think that I'm alone in that. But living from a place of insecurity means that we miss out on enjoying the journey. When we allow insecurities to creep into our lives, they stop us from advancing in what God is calling us to do, in where God is calling us to go. And so these insecurities, they've got to go. They've got to go, haven't they? We've got to stop trying to measure up to some false understanding of who we're supposed to be and actually live from a place of knowing that God loves us and that's enough. That God loves us and that's enough because the love of God is way more powerful than any insecurities that we might be living with. God loves you and that's enough. It's more than enough. The truth is that in Christ, we have everything we need. In Christ, we've got everything we need, everything to enter into this battleground and to see the victory, everything we need. The Lord said to Gideon, go in the strength you have, the strength that you have got, O mighty warrior. You've already got it. Now go in the strength that you've got. Am I not sending you? You've already got it. I've already given it to you. Now go and do what it is that I'm calling you to do. But the weapons we fight with, just like the weapons that Gideons use, they don't make sense because we don't fight with weapons of this world. Why? Because our fight is not with things of this world. It's not against powers and principalities and authorities of this world. Our battleground is a spiritual battleground. And so we dress ourselves, don't we, with the armor of God. And the kids have gone out today and they have started a series on the armor of God, which fits perfectly with what we're doing in here. And there was no corroboration. That's all God, which is amazing. And so we, we arm ourselves with the armor of God, the belt of truth wrapped around our waist, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of peace, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith, all of that stuff. We arm ourselves with with what we need to face this battle, to go into the battleground and expect that we will see the victory. Are you clothing yourselves right when you wake up each morning? Do you get to the end of the day and just feel exhausted and beaten and broken? 
Well, if that's how you're feeling, maybe just look back to how you began your day. Did you begin by fixing your eyes on God? Did you begin by arming yourselves with the, what God has given us to, to face the battle that is ahead of us? He's given us everything we need. Are we clothing ourselves properly? Or are we allowing these insecurities to, to creep in to, and to take our eyes off God? What's the cure for insecurity? It's knowing your true identity. Knowing your true identity. God spoke over Gideon, mighty man of valor, mighty warrior, hero. God spoke it over him, his true identity. Gideon didn't see that. He saw himself as a weakling. He saw himself cowering away, but God saw his true identity. And he spoke it over him, mighty man of valor. And the truth is, when you know who you are, it doesn't matter who you're not. Does that make sense? When you know who you are, it doesn't matter who you're not. It doesn't matter what you don't have, what you can't do, where you can't go. It doesn't matter what you wish you had or what you wish you look like. The truth is you are chosen. The truth is you are loved. The truth is you are called. And the truth is you are equipped. We're chosen, loved, called, and equipped. And God chose Gideon. It didn't make sense. On paper, it was a stupid idea, but God chose Gideon nonetheless. And he chooses you. With all of your flaws and all of your failures, God chooses you and he chooses me. And he speaks over us our true identity, that you are loved. That God loves us so much that he sent his one and only son to die for us. That he fills us with his spirit, that he seated us in heavenly places, that he calls us his sons and his daughters, that he has given us a mission and a purpose to take this love of Jesus into the world, into the hurting and broken world and to tell them all about it. The devil says, think about all that you are not. But God says, think about who you are. Chosen, loved, called, equipped. And here's where insecurity attacks me the most. I don't know about you, but it, it's comparison. Comparison is such a horrible and wicked strategy of the enemy. And I think it's the same for Gideon as we read this story because he's comparing himself to the other armies, the other tribes. He's comparing himself to his other family members and he's looking at himself in comparison to them and saying, I am so weak, I am nothing, I am worthless in comparison to all of these other people. But comparison kills contentment and the truth is I believe that those people that we look at that we envy that we compare ourselves to they're probably just as full of insecurities as we are in fact it might even be that the people we compare ourselves to are comparing themselves to us it's quite plausible that that is the way it is but we need to stop I need to stop comparing ourselves to other people because God created us. God created me and he created you and he created us in such a perfectly unique way with our own characteristics, with our own passions, with our own experiences. And together, 
as these unique parts, we make up one body, the body of Christ. And I love it. I love the diversity that even in this room, we've got eyes, we've got ears, we've got shoulders and fingers and toes and belly buttons. We've got everything in this room that helps to make up the body of Christ. And he's created us with specific roles for a common goal. We've got specific roles for a common goal. And what we see with Gideon is that God called him that God gave him a task to do. And what he did was what he thought a good warrior should do. God said, you need to, uh, you're going to be the one to, to lead the Israelites to win this fight against Midian. And so he thought, okay, well, I'm leading an army. What I need to do is gather people around me. And so he goes out and he gathers these 32,000 men. But God says, no, that's not who you are. I didn't call a soldier. I didn't call an army leader. I called a farmer. You know, when God calls us to something great, when God gives us a purpose to do, it's, it's easy. The temptation is for us to do that thing like other people do it. To do that thing how we think God would want us to do it. But God's called you. Not someone else. God's called you. And we see it, don't we, with David when he killed Goliath. That that actually Saul tried to dress him with armor that didn't fit him at all. And he was like, but this isn't me. And so instead he went into battle as a shepherd. Because God called a shepherd. And so that looked like a pebble and a slingshot to win that battle. And so God is calling you. He's calling you into this battleground. Not to look like someone else, but to look just like you, just how he created you with all of the skills and abilities and passions that you have got to go into battle the way you would go into battle with God on your side. He's calling you to battle in your true identity. Why would we try and be something we're not? Why would we try faking it until we make it when we can instead look to God who will speak over us who we truly are, who he created us to be? Why would we not look to God who will lift our head, who will lift our arms, who will equip us and fill us with his spirit ready to go into battle? The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, he fills us with that spirit and sends us into battle and says, I have called you, I have equipped you, now go, now go. He speaks over us our true identity. He says, you are a child of God. I love the songs that we've been singing this morning. It speaks exactly of of what we're speaking into, of what God's saying in this place this morning. You are a son. You are a daughter of the King of Kings. He has chosen you. He loves you. He's called you. He's equipped you. Now go into this hurting and broken world and show them my love. Show them my love, not like someone else would show them, but like you would show them in a way that only you can. Michelle came up to me during worship to share what she felt God was speaking to her at that moment. And you know that saying, that insult, oh, you think you're God's gift to whatever. The enemy loves to use that as an insult. You, You think you're God's gift to the world. 
But that is exactly what we are. That is not an insult. That is a prophecy. You are God's gift to the world. And so we need to rise up in our true identity that actually we are God's gift to this world. God has called us and equipped us to go into this world. You are a gift from God to your family, to your friends, to your neighbors, to your co-workers. You are a gift to God. Now go. Now go in that authority, in that identity. Go. But I'm too weak. But I'm not enough. But I can't do it. But the battle is far too big. I'm, I'm not enough. That's true. That's true. But God says, in your weakness, my power is made perfect. My grace is sufficient. So go. Go weak as you are with all of your flaws, with all of your failures, with all of the mistakes that you have made in your past. Go in all of that stuff. And why does he send us out like that? Why did he send Gideon out with just 300 men? Because if Gideon had gone out with 32,000 men, although that was still a challenge, it is feasible that they would have won the victory, that they would have won the battle. And they would have been able to say, how amazing are we that we won this battle? But with 300 men against 135,000 warriors, without swords and shields, but with torches and trumpets, there was no way that they would win the battle. There was no way that they could say, look how good we are. The only result of them winning that battle was that God gets the glory. That God gets all of the glory. And so he says, I have chosen you with all of your flaws, with all of your failures. And I say, go, go into battle because you cannot win this battle on your own. But when you get the victory, when you see the victory, when you experience the victory, who gets the glory? God gets the glory because this battle belongs to the Lord. Amen? Amen. Why do we pray? Father God, I just thank you that you love us so much. That you are with us through everything that we face. God, I thank you for the unique way that you have created me. For the unique way that you've created everyone in this place this morning. That you have given us a unique set of gifts and skills and abilities and experiences and, and all of that stuff. And you've done that so that we can go into battle, not looking like someone else, but looking like us. Because you have called us. You chose us. Even though there are other people better equipped to do that job, you chose us. You called us. And God, I thank you that we have everything we need. We have everything we need right now in order to go into that spiritual battleground and see the victory. But we don't have everything we need without you. That victory only comes with you. That victory only comes when you are by our side, when our eyes are firmly fixed on our Lord Jesus. And so as we go into battle this week, whatever that looks like, as we go into our battleground this week, 
May we keep our eyes firmly fixed on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. God, would you fill us, even with crazy dreams, with the the faith that we need to go out in the confidence to see the victory that you have proclaimed ahead of us. God, I thank you that we don't need to hide in a winepress threshing wheat, but that we will see a harvest, a great harvest in this place. That God, you have spoken that word over this church that we would see a harvest. That in this town, that in this community, that in our friendship groups, our families, our workplaces, our colleges, that we would see a harvest in your name, that we would see souls won for your kingdom because you have chosen us, you have called us, you have loved us, you have equipped us with everything that we need. So God, even now, we thank you for that victory. Even now, in anticipation of what will come, we thank you for that great harvest. We worship you, we praise you, because you are awesome. You are almighty, you are all-powerful. We praise you, we worship you, and we thank you for our victory.